Welcome to a special episode of the Tambellini Group's Top of Mind podcast. Today, we are joined by Vicki Tambellini, the founder and CEO of the Tambellini Group. We are going to hear Vicki's predictions for higher ed tech in 2021. Welcome to the show, Vicki. Thanks, Caitlin. I'm glad to be here. Why don't we start by setting the stage of what's happening right now in U.S. higher education? What's going on at these institutions right now, Vicki? Caitlin, it's unbelievable the kinds of challenges that our institutions are facing in the U.S. And of course, the place I think we need to start is get, getting some perspective. And it's not the same for every institution because we have so many different kinds of institutions. They're all different sizes. They're in different parts of the country and the experiences are, are very different. So first of all, the size of the institution matters, the type matters, and the geography is also important. We have large public four-year institutions. We have research institutions. We also have private not-for-profit Uh, liberal art institutions, as well as um, public two-year and for-profit institutions. So I think when we, um, we, and others, and when we think about higher education, it's it's important to understand that that not not every institution is the same, and we want to be considerate of the fact that the challenges that, that institutions face can be very different. But in almost every case, the conversations that we have, um, we find that in the last six months in particular, um, people are overwhelmed. Um, they're feeling that the last eight to nine months have been so stressful, um, starting with the way that they have had to adjust their uh, home lives. Um, most everybody has been personally impacted um, by the pandemic. Um, most people know someone that has been sick or, or lost their life to, um, to the illness. And so they're operating in a very careful environment. They've had to change the way that they work and it's, it's impacted their staff And so it's created an environment of high stress. And and no matter what else is going on, we wanna acknowledge that uh, at the root of all of our work, we have people that have to be considered in everything that we do. So the environment that that we're um, working in in US higher education is extremely stressful right now, everywhere. So with that happening, you know, across the country, really no one has been left unscathed by the pandemic. What are your three biggest predictions for the year in a nutshell? And then we can dig into each one. Yeah, sure. First of all, I see that um, institutions are going to be focusing on adopting more strategic and sophisticated budget and planning tools. The ones that don't already have tools are going to be selecting and implementing strategic tools. 
um, more institutions are going to be moving as much of their operations to the cloud as they possibly can. Um, there's a significant number of institutions that still run the majority of their um, core operations on-prem. And then I think the, the third thing that I would uh, say is that this will be the year that we see some new ways of thinking about institutions combining operations. And I look forward to talking with you about what I mean by that. Great. Well, the first one you mentioned is around budget and planning. So tell us more about what you think's going to be going on in the budget and planning arena. What we see is that there's still many institution leaders that are using Excel spreadsheets and other tools to create their budgets. And so in this environment, they are leaders struggle to create uh, scenarios and to do the financial modeling and planning that they need to be able to do as the different scenarios come up or as, as plans change. And so what, what we are finding is that more and more leaders want to have tools that they can plug in numbers and run dozens of scenarios in a very short period of time so that as assumptions change, as information changes, and then as real-time data comes in, that financial modeling and planning can be done very quickly and adjustments can be made in real time because we don't have the luxury anymore of making a, you know, thinking about a plan and then implementing a plan over some period of months. Uh, the, this pandemic has created a situation for all of us that requires us to be able to react in real time to urgent situations and leaders have to have real information, real cost data and information that has to be um, available at the touch of a button. And to do that, you need more sophisticated tools than Excel. I agree with you on that. I think a lot of people have relied on Excel for a very long time and it's, it is a powerful tool, but it you know, requires a lot of you know, a person sitting at the computer doing the, the data analysis as opposed to having some sophisticated algorithms and automation behind the planning. On your second prediction, Vicki, you talked about people moving operations to the cloud. And this is a trend that we've seen accelerating over the past few years already. And what do you think is going to be different about 2021? What we saw last year was that um, institutions realized that when it wasn't safe to have a large number of workers in a, in a small space or when it was required that the people work from home, there were simply operations that either couldn't be done or couldn't be done in a timely manner. And, and there, were all, there was also a realization that um, 
more risk was then um, put into the operation than would normally be acceptable. And so the institutions that, that we've been talking with about this understand and, and realize that the way to mitigate these risks over the long term are to move operations to the cloud where third parties are responsible for more of the basic system operations where you have more um, backup, you know, disaster recovery, more, um, more people available to help run core system operations. And I think that there's, there's been an acknowledgement of that for some time, but there hasn't been the level of urgency that, that has now been acknowledged as a result of what we've been through in the last year. So regardless of whether you, the institutions are actually running, um, in, you know, in many cases, in fact, the majority of US institutions in terms of the core systems of record are still running legacy applications. So for those institutions, we're really talking about, for the most part, lifting and shifting legacy uh, on-prem applications to run in a basically a hosted or hosted managed services environment. Um, we're not. I'm not saying that I think that those institutions are all of a sudden going to you know, replace those applications with SaaS-based solutions because I, I don't think they will in the near term. I think they're they're just looking for ways to mitigate the risk of, of having to have all the staff and equipment you know, and this the staff to run the equipment on, on-prem that they've had in the past because of the, the risk that they realize were real when, when everyone had to go home. So that's quite a big job to move all of these legacy applications to the cloud. Do you see some applications being prioritized over others? Yeah, I think that what we are seeing is that the systems of record, uh, core systems like, uh, for example, uh, payroll systems, uh, systems with um, the most secure data that the institution's responsible for, um, those are the those are the kinds of applications that institutions are, are tending to, to review first because of the nature of the information that, that's held in those systems and the, and the criticality of those systems needing to be available, you know, up, up and running and available on a consistent basis. So yes, those are the ones that we see institutions thinking about moving first. And for your third prediction, you left us with a little bit of mystery around what you're thinking about with adoption of new technologies. So let's dig into that one. What did you mean? Well, what what I'm thinking about there is more combinations um, of of institutions. And what what I'm thinking there is that there have been a number of people that are, think, are saying that institutions are gonna go out of business or that institutions are gonna close. And, and I, I wouldn't debate that, that there's, there are a number of institutions that are at risk for that. But, but what we're hearing and, and seeing 
is that there are conversations that are taking place among very thoughtful leaders about how institutions can combine operations to stay successful, to stay relevant, and to continue to serve students. So that's one way that, we, that we're that we seeing institutions think about um, remaining viable. So for example, um, two or three or four institutions that maybe independently might not have the best long-term outlook individually, but maybe by combining operations, they may have you know, similar, um, they may attract just similar students, they may have um, programs that might be complementary or maybe some overlap. So for example, they could uh, reduce some staffing in some areas, they could combine their um, administrative operations, for example, and reduce the overhead of running the institution if they combined their operations. Um, we're seeing those kind of conversations taking place. And we're also seeing on the, on the public side, um, institutions thinking about how they can combine to share selecting common platforms and for the first time, really seriously looking at how they can take advantage of a common environments and sharing um, human resource knowledge across the public institutions. I mean, for, for some years now, we've seen where, where it's been mandated institutions combining and combining operations but now we're understanding and seeing even where it's not mandated that many public institutions are talking about how they can be better stewards of public funds and sharing uh, operational efficiencies, which is, is a very positive thing. And then another area is, is another, there are two other twists on this that are, that are also um, are, are being explored by institutions. That, that is consortiums, right? Where um, consortiums are coming together to, to share uh, some, of, some subset of their operations. So for example, the Green Mountain Consortium is, is an example of where we've seen uh, institutions come together, three institutions came together to combine their ERP operations on a, they selected a common platform and they are moving forward um, that working together, um, they have a shared operations center and they're using a common platform to run their uh, systems of record. And then a different example, but also a, another example of the um, way we see institutions working together to share resources and save money. This is something that will roll out in 2021 is the, a group of schools that are involved in the HESS consortium where they're going to um, 31 or two schools are going to select a platform and think about how they can work together on a common platform to save money. So lots of, um, lots of opportunities and lots of new thinking about working together to, to, um, to reduce overhead, especially in information technology where so much money is spent. Vicki, do you have any long shot predictions or maybe a controversial prediction that you'd like to share with us? 
Well, this is one I think you can you can also um, maybe you want to weigh in on um, the the thing that we're seeing, you know, from a from a teaching and learning perspective that is also a human characteristic is that so so much has changed about the way we work and about the way we um, the way we're teaching our students that the, you know, we hear a lot about student expectations and student outcomes and the delivery of education. And we, we don't know yet um, as an, you know, as an industry, how, how long-term student outcomes are going to be impacted as a result of, of the pandemic. But we do know that um, from a K-12 perspective, Many K through 12s have been uh, shut down for last spring and then this fall and again going into to this spring. Many students have had to uh, learn from home and go to Zoom school, as they say. And so standardized testing has been impacted, you know, lots of test optional um, institutions, uh, many more than before. And so students are rethinking um, the experience that they that they want. If they've been online for their junior and senior year, or maybe all of their senior year, you know, will that impact the way that they uh, want to experience higher education? Or if their entire freshman year, for example, um, was online, will they? go back, will they pay the full tuition for a second year of online education? Or are we going to start to see some attrition to more online programs? And so I think that um, we'll start to see, the numbers will start to show more movement in, um, in students to more online programs where they can save money. Um, by doing more work online and the institutions that have online options for students to take advantage of the degree program where they intended to be in school will benefit the most. And institutions that don't have options for students to, um, to continue with programs at a you know, maybe some sort of reduced tuition rate have the, are going to face the most competition and potentially be at the biggest loss for students. And, and that I would say this is with the exception of perhaps the most elite private not-for-profits and the most elite research one institutions who will probably never struggle for, for that student enrollment. I mean, um, but that's not the majority of our higher education institutions. I mean, the majority of our institutions are, are constantly looking for um, how they're gonna recruit their next best class. So I think that's, you know, the understanding where your competition is coming from and how you're going to um, recruit those, those students who are gonna stay with you for the, the four years through graduation is, is gonna be even more important in the next um, 12 to 18 months. I can see how this has been playing out in my own family. I have a 17 year old stepson who loves learning online, has really enjoyed 
the online learning environment, being able to do work from home, having a different pace and schedule. So I can really see how the pandemic could have opened a lot of people's eyes to some of the benefits of online learning, where maybe before they were really thinking they were going to go to a four-year institution, they were going to go on campus, they were going to have the typical college experience. They now may really be rethinking that Mm -hmm. and thinking about, well, you know, maybe alternatives are just as good of an option for me. And, you know, I, as these conversations are playing out in my own household, I can really see how, you know, this is being multiplied over many households over the U S what kind of impact that may ultimately be having on enrollments. And, you know, that trickles down to um, many more pressures, as you said, on the institution, you know, the need to adopt more um, automation, perhaps they can't have as much staff. There are many variables here that are going into, you know, what do we think the landscape is going to continue to look like? So I think on that note, the, the one piece of advice that, that I would, would have is that what we know for sure is that, you know, we constant change is, is not new, but the rate of change and the impact that change is having is, is very difficult for some institutions. And most every institution has a plan, a strategic plan, you know, the institutions are typically putting, you know, making them working from a five-year plan, but those plans need to be evaluated and reconfirmed more than annually now, because the rate of change and the impact of the pandemic and the ongoing changes that are going to have to be made and the and reevaluated and a year's too long <laughs> to, to think about um, how, how you're going to need to adopt in your own environment. It's just no longer reasonable or possible to, to think about, um, you know, an, an annual review. And so I would um, urge every institution to think about uh, looking at a planning cycle that's at least semi-annual and in, in putting a process in place to, to make changes as frequently as possible to, to adapt to this environment that I, is turbulent <laughs> at best. Vicki, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a wonderful conversation and I've learned a lot about what's happening and what might happen. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for your time, Caitlin. And thanks to our guests for joining in. If you'd like more data-driven insights about the higher ed technology landscape, check out Tambellini's free and member-only resources at thetambellinigroup.com. And that's the end of our show for this month. We'll see you next time.